Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Hey, good morning, everyone. You can have a seat. Uh, so good to be with you this morning. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Michael, one of the pastors here, and uh, just so great to be with you. And today we're continuing a series that we started last week on 1 Corinthians that we're calling You Did What? Everyone say that? You did what? I just love that. I just love that. Uh, and if you were here last week, you know when we started that series, uh, you, we gave you this, or we gave this title because it's focused on a letter in the Bible that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that was really acting inappropriate in a number of different ways. It wasn't just one problem that he has to write them about. He has to address problems of just sexuality and relationships, how they're dealing with money, and how they're learning to worship each other and include others, and just the many ways that they're even causing division amongst each other. And so Paul writes this letter to call them out and to challenge them to take seriously what it means now to mature and to deal with this division and this inappropriate behavior that's taking root. Uh, and if you were here last week, Pastor Dom talked about how important it was for a church that had really lost its way to be reminded by Paul of some of the just the essentials of the Christian faith that were meant to just unite them. And if you missed last Sunday, or you haven't had a chance to watch it, I encourage you just to go back. You can watch that later on YouTube. And I uh, just also want to just pause and say uh, just a special welcome to those who are watching on YouTube, as well as just those connecting uh, from Ambrose House, uh, partner, partner uh, with us in, uh, in downtown Montreal, who are uh, just following along with us. They have a home group that's following with our series, so really thankful for them connecting with us. Uh, and one of the things that we've really encouraged you to do as we walk through this series together is to just read 1 Corinthians on your own. Just to start maybe with a couple chapters at a time, a couple chapters each week, and read through that and just learn to read the Bible and just understand the story and enter the story of what's happening. Uh, and this morning, we're going to look at this next section of the letter, uh, and again, encourage you to read those chapters on your own. And one of the things you'll notice right away is that in order for Paul to continue to address the root of this divisive and inappropriate behavior, he's going to use a number of different images to talk about the church. And uh, so I want to put up just on the screen a, a list of some of the different images Paul shares in the, in the letter. He's actually going to share more images later, but these particular ones he actually just shares in these next two chapters we're going to look at. Uh, here's a few of them for, or here they are. It's one is the mind, image of the mind. Okay, another is he uses the image of a garden. He also uses the image of a, temp, uh, a building, and then he uses the image of a temple. And so we're going to look at a few of those in a moment. Uh, and the reason why Paul uses these different images that's really important for us to understand before we look at these is that he's pulling us into a mystery. He's using these different images to draw us into this vision and this mystery of what it means to be the church. And while, you know, the church in Corinth, who he's speaking to, he's writing to, weren't dealing maybe with some of the unique problems we have today of looking back 
on the letters and trying to really understand what the church means through this very particular lens that we have that we talked about last week, they too are still learning what it meant to be the church in their cultural context. And so Paul uses these different images to pull them into this way of seeing the world and of understanding what it means to be the church by using images because this understanding is beyond what words can fully grasp on their own. And so we're going to listen, look at these, uh, a few different images this morning. Can everybody do that with me? We do a few of these images. All right, here we go. And so the first one we're going to look at is uh, the image of the mind. And it's not just uh, any mind that Paul's talking about here. He uses the image of what he calls the mind of Christ. And here's what he says. He says, who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind, we have the mind of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were sitting there in the church in Corinth and I heard that, I would be thinking, what does that mean? What are you trying to say? Does, what does it mean to have the mind of Christ? Like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? For me, Jasmine and I, uh, my wife and I recently started watching the Lord of the Rings series called Rings of Power. Anybody been checking that out? Great series. And it reminds me, we're not very far, but it reminds me of like this idea of the eye of Sauron. This idea that he's like looking over us and watching out in this kind of creepy way. Like, is that what the mind of Christ is all about? Or is it maybe kind of like a, a superpower or this crystal ball that allows us to see into the future? What comes to mind for you maybe when you think about this image of the mind of Christ? One of the things that we really need to pay attention to whenever we, and just be really careful of whenever we're, we're thinking about an image that's given to us in the Bible, is that we can't just interpret that image however we want to. Okay, this is really important. We can't just decide that everything about that image then applies to the thing that we're comparing it to. And here's an example of just how that works even in, in kind of day-to-day language for us. If you say, I'm hungry as a hippo, you likely don't mean that you wanna, you're really craving eating grass or that you want to roll around in the mud, right? You're just meaning that you're really hungry. Or if you say, I'm uh, such an early bird, you likely aren't trying to say that your brain is the size of a peanut, right? You're just saying that you get up early. And so this is really important for us to understand. And it gets confused all the time with so many different images in the Bible, including when we're talking about the mind of Christ, It's so confused by people as this kind of superpower or this crystal ball that gives us all the answers to life's difficult questions. Or it's confused as this idea that Jesus has somehow like taken over our brains and is like overriding our own thoughts. And so saying yes to Jesus now just means that I don't have to think or wrestle through any complex ideas anymore because Jesus just does it for me. Or a common way this is misinterpreted is to think that it means that you're superior to other people. That you have this thing that almost makes you better than others and that people just don't understand or people who don't know Jesus will just never understand and so why even bother with them? And I think one of the biggest dangers on top of those or ways that we can fuse this image of the mind of Christ is to see it as something that we have or a way of thinking that's disconnected from what we're actually called to do and how we're called to live. Uh, Some of you know this, that my wife and and family and I moved back uh, to Montreal a couple years ago uh, to join the 180, and when we moved, we weren't able to move right into our our house that we have here, so we stayed at a friend's place for a few weeks, and we stayed there. They had an empty house that we could rent, and one of our favorite things about the house right away that was new to us was they had a, a Google Home speaker. Anyone know what that is? Google Home. Now I think it's called Google Nest. Anybody have one of those? 
You say, hey, Google, and it responds. And one of the cool things about it, it feels like it's like the brain of a house almost. Like you can, you can hook it up to your lights. You can say, hey, Google, turn on the lights, and it'll turn on the lights for you. Or you can say, hey, Google, you know, just to research something. Or you can say, hey, Google, tell me the weather. And one of our favorite things uh, that we did, other than, you know, the kids just enjoyed asking Google what the weather was, was obviously the, the, telling it to switch, turn on the lights, too, even though the light was two steps away. They loved telling it to turn off the light. But they also just liked using it. They had all this knowledge at their disposal. And what they did was they just asked it to tell us a dad joke. Just every day, tell us a dad joke, tell us a dad joke. And our youngest just heard this, was like, dad joke. So she'd go, tell us a mom joke. We like, that's us. So tell us a dad joke. And uh, I think, you know, how we interacted with the speaker is like so, how many, so much like how we confuse what it means to have the mind of Christ. We can treat it maybe as this thing that gives us this special knowledge or power, but it never actually changes how we act in any good way. It never actually helps us to grow, and if anything, it just makes us more lazy. So many of us love the idea of the mind of Christ until we learn that what Paul is actually saying is that we've been given something that should lead to a kind of wisdom and a kind of maturity that looks more like Christ. What Paul is really talking about is being shaped by a certain kind of attitude towards others. And to help us just understand this better, Paul actually uses the image again of the mind of Christ in another one of his letters to a church in a city called Philippi. And here's what he says. One of the most beautiful parts of Scripture in all the New Testament. He says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul is saying here, isn't that just a beautiful passage? What Paul is saying is that to have the mind of Christ is not to act superior to others, but to grow in a kind of attitude of Christ towards others, to learn to put others before yourself. And not only that, but it's, I think it's easy for us, maybe for those who even have heard this passage before, to read this and just think, well, that's easy. Paul's just telling us, so I just have to be nice. You know, but that's not what he's saying here at all. It's much, much deeper than that. He's talking about a kind of attitude that requires the kind of sacrifice that's shaped by the cross. To have the mind of Christ means dying to yourself and learning to give up your own agenda, to sacrifice your own, your, your own perspective, your own power, your own preferences, so that your relationships can grow and thrive. And Paul uses this image uh, in his letter to the Corinthians because the people in the church in Corinth weren't acting this way at all. They thought they could just follow Jesus while at the same time nurturing a kind of spirituality that was selfish and self-serving. They had forgotten what it means to be shaped by this kind of mind and attitude of Jesus. And I think this is so, much, so easy for us today as well. It's easy to just be nice to others while remaining selfish. Or to think that we can be wise and spiritual and mature in a way that's disconnected from our attitude towards other people. To think you can be mature while ignoring your own, how your own preferences or desires or need for control are causing division and conflict with other people. Paul reminds us that the, the, uh, that the wisdom that's shaped by Jesus is very different than what we think. 
Because the kind of wisdom and spirituality that isn't shaped by sacrifice for others is not shaped by what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's not a spirituality that's defined by the cross. And Paul says it's not enough just to believe in Jesus, to believe in what he's done. It's not enough to just believe in his death and his his resurrection, but to be shaped by the mind of Christ is to see that as a whole new way of life and a lens for how we approach our relationships to others that's marked by the same kind of sacrifice that Jesus modeled for us. It's a trust that as we learn to sacrifice for others in ways that put aside our preferences or our own power or selfishness, that because of what he's done, because of his death and his resurrection, Jesus is now breathing new life into our relationships and shaping us into a new kind of people. So as you think about that, that image before we move on, about the mind of Christ, I want you to just consider, how have you been tempted to see your own maturity and your own spirituality in a way that's disconnected from your attitude towards others? How have you been tempted maybe even to celebrate your own intelligence or your own sense of wisdom or maturity in a way that's disconnected from learning to sacrifice and to surrender your own, per- your own preferences or your own perspective for the sake of others? And so Paul will use this image of what it means to have the mind of Christ. And then later he shares another image that meant to, that's meant to remind the people in Corinth what it means to grow with Jesus at the center or Jesus as the foundation for their lives. And so first, uh, you can read it on your own, but first he shares this image of a garden. You can read that this week. But then he quickly moves to the image of a building. And here's what he says. He says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For one can lay any foundation, sorry, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. And so really quickly, if you remember uh, from last week, one of the issues Paul addresses uh, with the church in Corinth was the problem of them picking and choosing their own preachers based on their own preferences. And so first, he's going to remind them here that he and the other leaders have been working together and have been there and visited them with the same purpose, which was to help uh, plant and grow the church with Jesus as the foundation. But then Paul will use this image in his letter of a building to remind the church in Corinth of something very important, which is that even once you've said yes to Jesus, and even after others maybe have helped lay the right foundation, you can still then build on the wrong things. The Corinthians seem to think that even after this foundation has been laid with Jesus at the center, that was carefully kind of laid and built upon by Paul and the other leaders, that now it didn't matter what the rest of them did. They thought they could say yes to Jesus while building their lives on a foundation that was very different. By building, using the wrong things and based on the wrong priorities. They were so shaped by a world and a culture that allowed them to visit whatever temple they wanted that fit their mood or desires for that day. Or to have their choice of whatever form of entertainment that they failed to understand the kind of sacrifice and they failed to recognize and admit that they were building their lives on the wrong foundation. And this is such a temptation really for us as well. To think that, you know, if I, because I go to church or because I said a certain prayer or because I was baptized, now I can sing songs about Jesus as my foundation without actually committing to growing and to maturing and to building my life on him as my foundation. 
Instead, we can build our lives around our own vision for success or power or self-promotion. We build our life on other priorities like sports or entertainment or comfort or immediate gratification, whatever that looks like, and we allow them to replace Jesus at the center. And it's very tempting for us to even do this in our own churches, in the church. This happens all the time, and I've been guilty of this before as well, that to make, we can make church about our own musical preferences or about how good the kids' program or the youth program is or the, how church the, fits, the church even fits with our own political views or how much we like a particular preacher. Paul here reminds us to not let our own preferences and our own priority, the wrong priorities, draw us away from keeping Jesus at the center and as our foundation. Because when we build our lives on the wrong things, not only does it keep us from experiencing the new things God is wanting to grow and build in our lives, but we, we actually confuse the idea of belonging to the church as something that should always fit my own priorities or my own preferences and the things that I want to build. Now, to take us a little bit deeper bef- uh, this morning, Paul's then going to really hammer this point home by moving from the image of a building and now to the image of a temple. And here's what he says. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that the God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. So as Paul moves from this image uh, to this image of the temple, he says that you together are God's temple. It's really important to recognize in this verse, he's not talking so much about individuals in this particular image, but he says that you together should see yourselves as God's temple. Now, as we think about this image, I want to just pause again, just quickly remind you of something very important about the images in the Bible, which is that we have to be careful how we apply this image to what it's being compared to. It doesn't mean the exact same thing. And so Paul will use this image of the temple as a way of talking about the church in different places in the Old Testament. But he knows, and the people he's writing to knows, that they're not exactly the same thing. And there are many churches who even who confuse this idea today of what it means to compare the church to a temple. But now for the people in Corinth, when they heard the word temple, immediately they would think of actually a particular building that was in a particular place in Jerusalem. And they would know even that this is a place where even Jesus himself went to on many different occasions. And you know, for us, I think it's difficult when we, we, we look at this to compare what the temple would have really represented uh, for the Jewish people at the time uh, to anything that we have today because of how important it was to the life of the Jewish people and their community and its role in their lives. And the closest thing we might have is, uh, to that is maybe the White, what the White House is for Americans or what the Bell Center is for us here in Montreal. Right? This center of life and religion and culture, just, just everything. It's, it's the most important, it's like the center. Uh, but the most important thing really for us to understand, if you understand anything about the temple this morning, is that it represented for them, uh, it was really symbolic of God's presence. The temple was the greatest indicator of God's presence here on earth. And what makes this really so significant for the church in Corinth that we can actually miss is that we actually know because of scholars' research and recent discoveries that the church was made up of people who were mostly Greek. In other words, they weren't Jewish. They were some of the first people who were really working out what it even meant to be Christians who weren't also Jewish. 
And like many of them would have never, likely many of them would have never even visited the temple in Jerusalem. They, were, they would have seen themselves as the outsiders to the story of the Jewish people that they were being invited into. And so just imagine how radical it would have been for them to hear the words of Paul read out in this letter to them, that you together now are like God's temple. Because when you gather together, you are no longer outsiders, but now you embody God's very presence as you learn to be the church and this new family, this new community together. Imagine what good news that is for them. When they hear that though they were once outsiders to this larger story, that now they're invited to experience the fullness of the, of the, the, the experience, the joy of God's presence as they learn to do this together. And this is such good news for you and me today as well, who were also outsiders to the story that we're now being invited into. To know that saying yes to Jesus means being invited into a new vision that's so much bigger than us. Even though we still have so much learning and growing to do, and we have so many questions. And this is why for us as a church, Alpha is so important here. Because we know that it takes time and that people really, you need a safe place to just explore and to learn about the bigger story that Jesus is inviting in, us into. It's not easy to understand. And it's also why we have something like the intro to the 180 lunch that we're going to do in a moment or after the gathering to, to really help us learn what it means to be a church that's rooted in something that's much bigger than ourselves. But as Paul uses this image of the temple to give a new vision of what it means to be part of this community, he's saying that because you are now together embody God's presence, you also now represent God to the world. How you choose to act and treat one another and how you choose to model sacrifice and lay down your lives for one another and learn to heal any conflict or divisions will determine how you represent God to the world around you. And this isn't easy for us to do. It's such a radical shift for us to make, especially in our culture, to consider what it means now that we represent God together and to be part of this sacred community is to do that together. Because we don't actually really like the idea, when you think about it, of sharing in God's temple, do we? You and I prefer the idea of my temple. We prefer to live and operate out of the lie that you can have your own temple over there, I can have mine over here, and nobody can ever bother us. You just do whatever you want, I'll do whatever I want, and what I do is none of your business. Right? We're so shaped by this culture of hyper-individualism and consumerism that's all about my preference and my choice, and it's easy for us to, to just build a vision for life that's all about building my own empire, or pursuing success and happiness and comfort without ever having to learn uh, to share in any of this space with other people. But then we wonder why, just like the church in Corinthians went through, we can't learn, we have trouble learning to resolve conflict, or why our own preferences are causing division with others, or why we struggle to feel like we belong to anything that's bigger than ourselves and to really experience the fullness of community. Paul uses this image of the temple to say that as those who now embody God's presence together, we will need to commit to the kind of sacrifice that's required to grow and to mature in learning what it means to belong to this together. Uh, when I was in university a number of years ago, I was doing my studies uh, in theology, and I went out to the, um, I was in the, the Toronto area, and uh, in my second year in university, I couldn't afford to stay on residence. I was kind of working at the same time, going through school, and uh, so the second year, I decided to uh, live in a house that was rented out with six other guys, 
Okay, I wouldn't recommend this to anybody. Uh, six other guys, it was actually five other guys, but one of them was kind of just, he crashed and stayed on the couch, freeloaded off of us every day. If you're listening, I love you. But, uh, but so, so we were seven guys in total in this small house, and uh, it was really for me just uh, like a crash course or in the challenge of living and sharing space with other people. And we really struggled to do this, to, to, to mature and to grow in a way that we were like sacrificing for one another or helping one another or putting aside our, our own selfishness. And over time, this house just ended up to like being a complete disaster, dishes and things everywhere. And uh, really, this came to a head. I'll never forget this. But one day, one of uh, the roommates, one of my friends bought a, uh, uh, what's the word for it? A deep fryer. He brought a deep fryer to the house, and he laid it in the kitchen, like pushed the, dish, the, the dishes aside, laid in the kitchen, and we just had a lot of fun with the deep fryer. We were uh, like experimenting with different things, you know, deep frying ice cream and deep frying Mars bars and just ridiculous stuff that would kill you in an instant today, probably. Um, but we had a ton of fun of this, but the problem was because we never learned to really share the space, none of us wanted to clean it up after. We all refused. We were all busy doing our own things. We all had our own priorities. And so it sat there for days. And if you've ever used a deep fryer, I'm sure you just know, it, it. like you can imagine the stink that was just emanating through this house. And not only did it start to stink, but we left it so long that it was like it was like pouring out of the walls. And so whenever anybody would come over and visit, a friend or a neighbor, whatever, I was so embarrassed because of this smell. But none of us really did anything about it. And, um, you know, I think it just, it was because we just really refused to mature and grow beyond our own selfishness. We never learned to share space with each other. And because of that, not only did we not have room in the house for anybody else to visit, but we likely turned a lot of people away. Similarly, I think Paul warns us as the church that if we don't take seriously what it means to be shaped by the attitude of Jesus, in sacrificing for one another, in healing our different, in allowing him to heal our differences, in surrendering. We misrepresent God in a way that fails to make room for those who are on the outside, who are searching and who are longing to know his presence. As you consider maybe this image of this temple and what it means and what God is doing, are there ways maybe where you've made the idea of belonging to a new community about yourself? instead of about the new things that God is wanting to do in order to make room for others? How might God be teaching you to embrace a kind of sacrifice to others, to your family or for your coworkers or your neighbors that invites them into the bigger story of what God is doing and making his presence known? After Paul shares these different images to the Corinthians, he follows that by sharing these instructions that I want to begin to wrap up with this morning. And here's what he says. He says, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. Paul takes this moment to warn the church in Corinth that you are deceiving yourselves if you think you can follow Jesus while building your life on the kind of wisdom that just looks like the rest of the world. You're deceiving yourselves if you think that to be wise is to build your own vision of what it means to grow and to decide for yourself what a spiritual, a strong spiritual life looks like that's disconnected from what it means now to be part of this new community. And if you don't see 
how that would now is beginning to cause division and conflict instead of leading others to a deeper sense of peace and joy and belonging. The people of Corinth at the time liked to think, we know that they actually in Corinth liked to think of themselves as particularly wise and intelligent people. They saw themselves as really smart or clever to others. But Paul is saying, you're deceiving yourself if the kind of wisdom you seek and uphold doesn't look different than those around you. One of the hardest parts about just taking these words from Paul seriously is just having the courage to admit that there could be times where we're deceiving ourselves. Not only that, to then let others in who will tell us when we're deceiving ourselves. One of the hardest things to do in learning and and just learning what it means to belong to this new family called the church is to allow others in and to get close enough to us that they can point out when we're deceiving ourselves. To share spaces where they can say that's inappropriate. Or I'm noticing this destructive in pattern in you that's now beginning to hurt you and those around you. This is what makes home groups such an important part of the life of the church here that we really want to just value as we learn to grow in what it means to be the church every day together and to grow in community with Jesus at the center. That it means learning to be in close enough proximity to one another where we're becoming more and more open to how God might use others in the church to help us grow and mature. To offer gentle correction or encouragement when they see that my own, my own version of spirituality or my priorities are now moving me away from what it means to have Jesus at the center. There was a time in my life a number of years ago when I was really not ready to let others help me to grow. and Where I wasn't ready to even question my own vision of what was best for me. I, only, I wanted my own vision of Christianity. That allowed me to do what I want without anybody pointing out any of the things in me that were causing pain or division or that were keeping me from experiencing the fullness of what God was wanting to do in me. And it took me a long time before I was ready to say yes to Jesus in a way that I was committed now to to not only trusting that he was the one worth building my life on, but to also that he was using other people to hold me accountable to that. And it took me a long time to realize even, as we think about this idea of deceiving ourselves, that I was deceiving myself in a way that was keeping me from knowing his freedom. I was deceiving myself in a way that was keeping from knowing his peace and his hope and his goodness, the things that he wanted to grow in me. Maybe for you this week, maybe you're not even quite there yet about what this, this could look like or what it means to, to trust God in this way. But maybe just as a first step or a next step, God is just inviting you to reconsider or to reevaluate what you just understand to be wise. To be open to how God might be using others in your life to help you to grow. To challenge your own assumptions. To point out blind spots that you might be uh, missing. Ways that you think you, 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 that you're wise but just looks like the rest of the world. And it's not really not an easy thing for us that, G, that Paul tells us to become fools in order to be wise. In a world even that tells us it's foolish to build your life around this, you know, 2,000-year-old dead guy who, uh, that it, and that it's foolish to pursue your own vision and your own dreams for your life or to do anything, or sorry, it's foolish not to pursue your own vision and your own dreams for your life, or that it's foolish not to do anything that builds your own empire. It's hard for us to actually believe or to trust anything different. 
But Paul is telling us here that in order to be truly wise, it means to follow the one who gave up everything, who gave up his own empire, who sacrificed everything, even his own body, so that we would no longer be outsiders, but that we could enjoy the fullness of God's presence with one another. So as we wrap up this morning, would you just take a moment to consider how God might be shaping you, shaping you in a way to have the mind of Christ in your relationships with others, as you learn to sacrifice in a way that's marked and shaped by the cross? Would you take a moment to reflect maybe on the things that you've been building your life on that really have no lasting value, to examine where they've been built uh, on a way way that is not on Jesus and what he's wanting to do in and through you? Would you take a moment to even just reflect on the things, the preferences, and the priorities that have kept you from experiencing God's presence in community with other people because you've put them at the center? We want to just be a church that is so shaped together by the ways of Jesus and so built on him as our foundation that others would be drawn into this new vision for what it looks like to grow and to flourish together. But to do that, we really need to take seriously what it means to learn, to sacrifice, to be shaped by God in this way, to take seriously moments where we need to just allow God to heal something in our relationships or for somebody to challenge the ways that we're even deceiving ourselves, the things that we're building our life on. And we really need each other to do this. So just as we we close, I want to invite you to stand. And just to pray with me as as we invite God to do this in us. Let's pray. Jesus, again, we recognize that you are the only one worth building our lives on. God, we admit uh, just the temptation and the times that we have made our lives about other things, where we've built on things that don't last or that are, just don't fit with your vision for what it means uh, to just flourish and to know your goodness and your peace and your hope. And God, we admit even times that we have been so distracted or so pulled in another direction that uh, it's caused even division with those that we love. And that it's caused even others to not, it's caused us to take the place to not give room for others even to know your presence in their lives. God, would you help us just as we, uh, would you even give us just a new vision for what it means to be Uh, part of this community, to belong in a way that isn't just about our preferences or our vision for, for what things should be, but that we learn to sacrifice for the sake of others, that others would know you, that outsiders even would find room here to know your love for them. God, we need you to just do this in us. Jesus, would you just be at the center as we learn this together and as we go from here? We pray in your name. Amen. Thanks, everyone. A couple notes. Just if you're, uh, we have a, just a team, a, a prayer team in our prayer space in the corner who would love to take the time to pray for you. Maybe for you, that's even just the next step 
and just learning to allow God to use others to do something new in you. Uh, but before you go as well, if you're uh, here and you're joining us for the intro to the 180 lunch, just a couple quick instructions uh, to just stay in the lobby and somebody will come and kind of direct you to the room we're going to. For everybody else, if you can, as, as much as possible, just get your kids right away so that we can clear out the space that we're going to use for that as well. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a great week.